0: Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in B.C. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with the dramatic developments yesterday in the world of B.C. politics. Abbotsford, M.L.A., Bruce Bandman announcing he was quitting The B.C. United Party, of course, that's the former B.C. Liberal Party. He quit that party. He has moved over to the B.C. Conservative Party. Wow, what a shakeup this is here now. This is bad news now before B.C. United and their leader, Kevin Falcon. I got John Rustad standing by. He is the leader of the B.C. Conservative Party. First, have a listen to Bruce Bandman here speaking to me. Yesterday, about his decision to move over across the floor to the conservatives, I asked him if there are any other MLAs in the old BC Liberal Party that are going to follow him over to the conservatives. Have a listen to this. There are
1: others, and I'll let them speak for themselves. I'm not the only one that has
2: shown uh, increasing uh, discontent uh, within the party, um, I'm not alone in that.
0: Oh, boy. Could other MLAs bolt over to the B.C. Conservatives here? Let's discuss it now with my guest, John Rustad. He is the leader of the B.C. Conservative Party, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, John. Mike, thanks for having me on the show this morning. You bet. I appreciate it a lot. So, John, let's talk about how did all this come together here? you got a new MLA now. So You have two MLAs, yourself and Bruce Bandman. That gives you official party status at the legislature. How did all this come together?
3: Well, I think, you know, what we've been trying to build with the Conservative Party really over the last uh, last six months uh, since I've been part of this party and since I've been the leader of the party is really to build a grassroots movement standing on values, and, you know, standing for our principles, just trying to stand uh, for what's right and fight for the average everyday person, uh, respect, you know, the freedoms, respect, particularly freedom of, of, uh, of speech. And I think those are things that uh, Bruce found attractive. And so... Uh, We happened to run into each other at an event in Abbotsford back uh, earlier in August. Um, And I said hi to him and said, you know, sometime we should have a a coffee or maybe go for a beer or something. And he said, okay. And so then uh, I happened to be in Abbotsford again about, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago or so and called him up and said, hey, let's get together for a beer. And so we sat and had a long chat about, you know, the future of politics in British Columbia.
0: And uh, well, that's very interesting. I would have, I would have been uh, interested to be a fly on the wall on that one. Like, what did, whose idea was this for him to cross over? Did you suggest it? Did you say, come on over?
3: Well, like, what I talked to
0: uh, Bruce about
3: um, is, like I say, the future of politics in B.C. You know, we're building this grassroots movement. We're trying to build uh, this new coalition party, the old coalition with the, uh, that the United Party has or had uh, is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, they've taken a very different path uh, and moved very far left in their politics. And it's not something that, uh, you know, certainly I wasn't comfortable with. And, you know, Bruce expressed that he wasn't comfortable. So I said, well, why don't we try to work together to continue to build uh, the Conservative Party as being the the center-right coalition that can govern in this province?
0: Okay, so the your former colleagues here in the BC Liberal Party now BC United some of them speaking out, the unhappy with this development of course and including party leader Kevin Falcon let me play a clip here for of him for you uh and and get your reaction here to what he has to say John so this is Kevin Falcon speaking yesterday and he said look This guy, Bruce Bannman, he's got the right, he's free to join the Conservative Party if he wants. But what about the the voters in Abbotsford who voted for him as part of a different party? And here was his suggestion on that. Let's have a listen.
1: He's going to have to explain to those that worked for him, raised money for him, volunteered for him, and voted for him Mm -hmm. Uh, in his riding of Abbotsford South. And I think that if he is so confident that uh, the move he's made is a good one, then he'll do the right thing and resign. Uh, and then run again uh, as a candidate for the fourth party and
2: see how he does.
0: Okay, he says Bruce Bandman should resign. If he wants to run as a conservative, resign and run as a conservative in a by-election. What do you say to that,
3: John? Well, what I would say is, uh, what else would Kevin Hawkins say? I mean, he's not going (laughs) to say, hey, you know, great thing, happy he's doing what he's doing. I I mean, what else could he say? Having said that, you know, we've got an election uh, potentially as early as six months from now. Um, You know, David Eby has said that he will not have an election until fall of 2023, uh, or fall of 2024, I should say. However, uh, given the recent polls, I don't know if I can trust his word. Uh, So we're being prepared to go to the polls as early as uh, next spring. And that is, you know, if if you resign, um, you're not going to have a by-election for for six months. That is the by-election. So, you know, Bruce will be working hard in his riding, and I know he takes his constituents uh, with the highest priority. Uh, he has always cared deeply about his riding, uh, about about the area, um, and he wants to serve his constituents the best as Bill team So he will be going out. He'll be talking to people in his riding. He'll be talking to people around and, and uh, about why uh, there is a need for a new well, coalition in this province and who we are.
0: Well, I th- I think one of the reasons that David Eby might be tempted to call a snap election here is because he sent he might sense an opportunity with his opponents divided here i mean you've got the bc united mla switching over to the your party the bc conservatives the opposition is divided and he might see an opportunity to do that to and and maybe even win a bigger majority government as a result like do you fear what well, like what do you say to the criticism that what's going on here with with you taking over the conservative party and now adding an mla that you're just going to divide Divide the center right vote in this province and just make an easier path to power for the NDP and they'll stay in power. Well, you know, as
3: you've seen the the recent polls, we're actually surging up in the polls. We're now second place. The United Party's in third place in the polls. And I tell you what, what David Eby and the BC NDP are worried about is that we're challenging them for government. And they know the longer that we go, uh, the more momentum we're building. We're building a very strong coalition. We're attracting very, very strong candidates. Um, for for this next election and i quite frankly think he's worried i think they're going to start ramping up their attacks on us i think they're going to uh, they're going to try to play dirty and so i i don't you know i don't uh, I don't think that an early election is out of the question because i think he is worried that if he waits too long we will be forming government after the next election in 2024 the conservative of the- party of british columbia is is building that kind of strength
0: Speaking of John Rustad, leader of the Conservative Party of BC, let me play another clip here for you from your former leader, Kevin Falcon, leader of BC United. And you heard in that clip, I asked Bruce Brandt Bandman yesterday, are there other BC United MLAs who might switch to the Conservatives? And, and he said, look, there are other people who are unhappy. Falcon was asked about that yesterday in the Jazz Joe Hall show. Here's what he had to say. Jazz act asked him, could there be, could he lose other MLAs to the Conservatives? Here's what he said
1: i would be shocked if there's others gonna that are gonna follow uh, uh bruce bandman uh over to his uh you know his little group there i i think it'd be very unlikely
0: okay he says very unlikely they're going to go over to your little group there john what do you say to that
3: well, you know, he also said last uh, last February that uh, they would never be talking about the Conservative Party, that it wasn't going anywhere. He said that no one would come over. Uh, I mean, if you can believe what he says, you know, that's that's up to you. Uh, you know, perhaps we should be talking about selling a bridge. But regardless of that... Uh, <laughs> well,
0: are you saying that there are other MLAs might come over to the Conservatives?
3: I I have no idea. I mean, I I hear rumors, just like everybody else is hearing rumors, that there's some people that are interested. Um, I have Hmm. not um, had anybody who's come over to me and and said they want to come over, um, you know, other than Bruce. However, you know, like I say, we're building this party on our principles and standing for our values and what we're trying to build across this province standing up and fighting for the ever, average, everyday working person. If there are other MLAs in the legislature that that share in those values and want to be part of this party, I'm certainly interested in having a conversation with them.
0: Okay, do you think it was uh, a mistake for the B.C. Liberal Party here to change its name? Because it's sure, it's sure looking that way right now. Some of these recent opinion polls that you reference, the B.C. Conservatives, your party in second place here now in a lot of polls, the, the B.C. United Party, former B.C. Liberals down in third place. Falcon was asked about that yesterday as well. Here's Kevin Falcon. Does he regret the party name change? Here's what he had to say. Do I regret having that new name? Absolutely not. Because I actually think United is a really,
1: really important message. Yes, it'll take time for the public to figure that out.
0: Okay, John Restad, do you think it what do you think of that? Do you think they made a big a big fatal error there, changing their name or does it matter at all?
3: I, I don't think it really matters. And I, I think the you know voters in this province are, you know, intelligent, capable of people and uh you know, they're not going to get confused by one name over another. <clears throat> what I do believe is that the coalition that was the BC Liberal Party has fallen apart. Um, I think, quite frankly, that, um, you know, we, we're we seeing a change in politics in British Columbia, and people are really looking for a different option. There's an yeah. underlying current society that, you know, things are just not it's not going right. There is issues, and it's half the people in this province are struggling to put food on the table. There's so many issues And people are sick and tired of what the politics has been over the last 20 or 30 years. And they're looking for something new, and that's what we are providing them with.
0: John, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Let's talk about soaring rents in Metro Vancouver now and latest numbers out from live.rent, the website that tracks rents across the city. Yeah, we continue to experience rising rents uh, in vancouver got matisse you standing by to discuss have a listen to amy libby here now it's not just vancouver amy is a renter in abbotsford and as you hear her describe here she and her family they can base they can afford the rent that's about it have a listen
1: we were lucky and found our home on a community page um, but it was still $400 over what we were previously paying, even just from a year ago. We can make our rent payments, we can pay our bills, but that's it. Like, we don't go out to eat, our daughters aren't in any extracurricular activities. We don't really do anything, <laughs> as sad as that sounds, we just can't afford to.
0: Yeah, as a lot of people are in the same boat, maybe you can afford to pay your rent and pay your bills. Not much left over after that. Let's check in with Matisse You now, Marketing Manager, Live.Rent. Matisse, thank you for coming on.
4: Hi, Mike. It's great to be here.
0: I appreciate it a lot. So let's talk about the latest numbers. And now you have a new report out. How much are rents going up in the region here?
4: Yeah, so for Metro Vancouver this September, we're at $2,438 per month. So this is for a one-bedroom unfurnished unit. And if we're looking specifically at the City of Vancouver, we're now just above $2,800.
0: $2,800 for a one-bedroom. Boy, that's a lot. How how about a two-bedroom?
4: Um, that is well over $3,000 now. Um, and it's just, it's, it's definitely a lot more compared to last year.
0: What, okay. When you, uh, how much are we looking at year over year increase? How much has this gone up?
4: Yeah. So looking at Metro Vancouver, it's about an 8.5% increase. Um, and interestingly enough, when we look at specific areas like Richmond, Burnaby and Langley, that's actually a, you know, an 18 to 22% increase compared to last September.
0: Right. And why are rents going up this much? I mean, we're supposed to have rent control here in British Columbia, right? Like, I remember, I recall this year, the maximum allowed rent hike was 2%, right? This year and then 3.5% next year. But that's only for existing tenants, right? If you have a brand new tenant, you can charge anything you want, right? Yeah.
4: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's, there's definitely a lot of different factors here. Um, I think, you know, I'll talk about the top three, one being the rise in immigration. So with Canada's immigration levels plan, you know, we're aiming to welcome about 1.45 million immigrants from now until 2025. And so now keep in mind, this number does not include international students, which we welcome just over 800,000 in 2022 alone. So you know, based on current level of immigration, we may actually surpass our immigration target this year already. Um, So we know there's high demand. And so with Vancouver having, you know, historically low vacancy rates, there's also a lack of supply. So I think the CMHC at the beginning of the year said we were at about a 0.9% vacancy rate. Um, So that's, you know, really big factor as well. And not only that, the rules and regulations for building rentals have increased while federal tax breaks for rental construction investments have disappeared. So this is according to a BC Business article. You know, experts are saying it's really impossible to build apartments that can be rented for a price that's affordable. So, you know, the slowness in rental construction really impacts inventory, leading to an increasing disparity between supply and demand, which is, you know, pushes rental prices up even more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, it's uh, it's a tough situation. How do we compare it to the rest of the country? Like, is Vancouver the most expensive rent in Canada? Sure, feels like it.
4: Yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah. So, you know, comparing to Toronto, um, they're at about twenty three hundred dollars this month um, for a one bedroom, whereas again, we're at twenty eight hundred.
0: Yeah, so so we're the we're the most expensive. We're number one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
4: you sure are.
0: Yeah, we're number one. This is what we we don't want to be number one in this category, but but we are. Yeah. All right, let's talk about. You know, are there any parts of Metro Vancouver that are like r- relatively affordable? Like, do you have any do you have any tips or thoughts on that for people who are looking for a decent, affordable place to rent? A lot of people are cannot they cannot live downtown, they cannot live in Vancouver, they got to look further out. Where would you recommend yeah. to find somewhere more affordable?
4: Yeah, I mean. Exactly what you said. Basically, the further we are from downtown Vancouver, the more affordable. So places like Langley, Surrey, New Westminster. So throughout 2023, Langley and Surrey were basically neck and neck in terms of being the cheapest. So that's quote unquote cheapest city in Metro Vancouver. But because they were the most affordable, they have also experienced really steep increases due to the increased demand for cheaper rentals. So for this month, they will still cost just about above $2,000 per month for a one-bedroom unit.
0: Okay, so Matisse, you is my guest. Live.rent is the website there for people looking for a a rental in the city. Super-duper expensive. What about uh, when I speak to people, Matisse, who are looking for a place, one of the things that is a problem, not only are the rents sky high, but there's a ton of scams out there. So I've talked to people who just... You know, they look at these online ads and it's hard to tell sometimes. Is something real? Is it a scam? How much are you hearing about rental scams?
4: Yeah, for sure. We've been um, hearing a a huge increase in rental scams, especially in the last two years and post-COVID. So rental scam victims will lose actually an average of $1,500 each. And for the first time, the Better Business Bureau ranked rental scams as the seventh riskiest scam in Canada for 2023. So it's, it's definitely a huge topic out there and a really big concern for renters.
0: Right. And how can you protect yourself? Like, what would you advise people to do so they don't get burned?
4: Yeah, I mean, education education is definitely key. Know your rental laws. For example, don't send a deposit before a lease is signed. And don't be afraid to verify the identity of your landlord, or even ask them for documents that prove that they are indeed the owner of that listing, or at least managing it. You know, if, if if it's too good to be true, it probably is, especially in Vancouver. So always do your due diligence, no matter how competitive the rental market currently is, it is always better to be safe than sorry.
0: Yeah, and especially, well, that was a good tip about making sure that the place is actually legitimate, because we've actually had scams where... You know, a scammer will rent out an Airbnb suite and then show that suite to uh, a suppo- someone who's supposedly going to rent it long term, and then ask for a deposit. So, I mean, that is a pretty sophisticated scam. Like if you were showing around an apartment, saying, "Hey, here's the place you're going to you're going to be renting. Give me give me the deposit." <laughs> Guess what? It's an Airbnb that they're showing you. So you got to be super careful, right?
4: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, things like land title documents or even an agreement that they are actually managing it, it, you know, goes a long way.
0: Matisse, thank you for coming on today.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, in the previous segment there, we were talking about soaring rents all across Metro Vancouver, breaking news out of uh, London, Ontario here, where the federal Liberals are gathering multiple news sources, uh, reporting that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau later today will announce he will remove the GST on the construction of new rental apartment buildings. Uh, Let's see what his chief opponent feels about that, Pierre Polyev. A uh, leader of the Federal Conservative Party. He is in Vancouver today. Mr. polia thank you for coming on. Good to be with you. I appreciate it a lot. What do you think of this? It, it appears that Trudeau is going to announce that he'll remove the GST from uh, construction of new rentals. What do you think of that?
2: Well, he promised that eight years ago when he was first running for prime minister, two years after that, he announced he was breaking that promise. But today, he got wind that I was proposing to remove that tax. And so he suddenly flip-flopped again. But that is really the story of eight years of Trudeau doubling the cost of rent, doubling the average mortgage payment, and doubling the needed down payment. It's been nothing but double trouble for housing after eight years of Trudeau, giving Canada probably the worst housing bubble in all of the OECD, giving us housing that's 50 to 75% more expensive than in the United States. And making Vancouver the third most unaffordable housing market in the world, uh, worse than New York City, worse than Paris, worse than Singapore, for God's sakes, a tiny island with 2,000 times more people per kilometer than Canada. That's eight years of Trudeau. The only way to fix the housing hell that Trudeau and the NDP have caused is through building homes, not bureaucracy. Today, I... Announced, I'll be introducing a bill in the House of Commons that will do just that.
0: Okay, We've, we were talking earlier on the show today about soaring rents uh, all across m- Metro Vancouver. Now you have this announcement from Trudeau. What what would you do here? And I'm, I'm sure is this is this like the number one issue you hear from people when you come to British Columbia? Is, is the price of housing?
2: Yes, that's why I've been talking about it nonstop for the last two and a half years. Um, and uh, there are two causes. Uh, One, Trudeau's deficits, supported by the NDP, are driving up interest rates, uh, which make mortgage payments more expensive, that force more people into renting, uh, and make it harder for builders to finance their construction, all of which drives up home building. So the first thing we have to do is cap spending, cut ways to bring down inflation and interest rates so that uh, our people can afford their mortgages. Secondly... We need to build more homes. Canada has the fewest homes per capita of any country in the G7 after eight years of Trudeau and the NDP. Even though we have the most land to build on, which is incredible, we have far more land than all of those other countries. We should have more housing by a long shot and we should have the cheapest housing in the world. Why can't we get more homes? Too much bureaucracy standing in the way. The delays for permitting zoning site plans the fees charges taxes lawyers consultants add 1.3 million dollars to the cost of every newly built home in Vancouver Uh, and it's similarly high across the country my common sense plan would incentivize cities to speed up speed up and lower the cost of permits I'll require big cities boost home building permits by 15% per year or lose federal grants those that beat the target will get a bonus I'll require yeah. every federally funded transit station be permitted for high-rise apartments so students and the seniors can live next to bus and trains and I will axe the tax on home construction
0: How how can you guarantee that those homes would be affordable though like how come how do we know that okay if you sort of cut this red tape and we build more Housing won't the housing just be as unaffordable and ex- as expen- and almost as expensive as before? People can't afford to buy here.
2: No, it won't. It's a simple matter of supply and demand. Uh, why is it so? Why is it so dirt cheap to buy a home in big American cities? Dirt cheap, like yeah. it's not cheap. It's dirt cheap, um, even in big prosperous cities with really high incomes, because they allow people to build homes. It's really that simple. And builders are not going to build stuff they can't sell. They'd lose money if they did. They have to build stuff that people can afford to buy or the business will go under. So the problem right now is a very simple. It's an arithmetic. You have more people than homes. You need more homes. And that's what I'm going to unleash with my law that removes bureaucratic gatekeepers to build, build, build homes you can afford.
0: Speaking to federal conservative leader Pierre Polyev, let me ask you about the, the the triple stabbings in Chinatown on Sunday. I know that you're familiar with this incident here. You had a suspect arrested after this stabbing who had been released from a, a psychiatric hospital. He had stabbed his own daughter to death. They let him out. He stabbed someone else. They let him out again, and then they decided to let him out one more time. Um, What are your thoughts on this? Because this is a provincial hospital. The release was approved by a provincial board. I don't know if there's anything you can do about that in Ottawa.
2: Well, somebody should ask the NDP government why that happened. But the uh, you know, uh, my view is that the criminal code has to be amended so that people who are found not criminally responsible due to psychiatric problems are still kept in psychiatric detention if they've committed serious offenses. Uh, Because if their psychosis is bad enough to cause them to stab and shoot people, then it's bad enough that they'll do it again. Um, Furthermore, we have to get rid of the catch and release system that Trudeau and the NDP brought in with Bill C-75 in Vancouver. The police had to arrest the same 40 offenders 6,000 times in a year. 6,000 arrests, 40 people, that's 150 arrests per offender per year. They're almost having to arrest a per- the same person every second day. Why? Trudeau's catch-and-release law, C-75, supported by the NDP, uh, uh, unleash crime into our communities. I'll bring in a new law, jail, not bail. Jail, not bail. Jail, not bail for repeat violent offenders who will be ineligible for bail or parole if they have a long rap sheet and are newly arrested on a violent crime.
0: Well, on that point, bail is set by judges who operate independently, and in our country you're innocent until you're proven guilty, right? So what would you do? Like, you order judges to keep people locked up, even if they're just, even if just accused of a crime?
2: So for, it is true that judges make the final decision, but they do it based on law. And the, law, the bail reform laws that Trudeau brought in in Bill C-75 require judges to release offenders as soon as they are arrested. So that is a decision by the Trudeau government in Bill C 75. It is not, we do not want to blame the judges. They're just doing what the law tells them to do. I will change the law to say that if you have a long rap sheet of prior violent offenses for which you have been convicted and you are newly arrested on yet another offense, you will be ineligible for bail because your track record shows that you are a danger to society and i will eliminate eligibility for parole for those same people
0: i appreciate your time today thank you
2: thank you very much my friend it's common sense let's bring it home
0: All right, let's talk about the slow, painful wait for surgery in this province. There are hundreds of people who are on surgical wait lists, often waiting for months and longer, and often waiting in pain. That includes my next guest. I'm very pleased to welcome him, Jay Hammond in Victoria. Jay, thank you for coming on today.
1: No problem, Mike.
0: I appreciate it a lot. Jay, how old are you?
1: I'll be 7 in a few more months.
0: 7 okay the big 70 oh, that's great congratulations <laughs> to you on that. Let's,
1: Thank you very much.
0: Yeah you bet. So you know at age 70 and tell me about your uh, tell me about the pain you got in your leg. What what's the issue with your hip here? What's going on?
1: Well my hip basically uh, they did cat scan and they found that uh, I hardly have any if any cartilage left in my right hip. So that means I've got bone on bone, which means every step I take, every time I have to stand up or get into my car or walk across the street or walk my dogs, it's very, very painful.
0: Yeah, what do you think caused that? How come, the, what happened to all that cartilage there?
1: Well, I'm almost 70 years old. It's just. Aging process, and yeah. I've never damaged it. So
0: okay, okay. Is it just one? Is it just one? One leg that's bothering you? One hip? What yeah. about the other one?
1: So far as it stands, it's just my right hip.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this has been going on for what you said about a year?
1: Yeah, about it. It's about a year,
0: right.
1: and uh, I had a phone uh, consultation with my orthopedic surgeon almost two weeks ago. And we went over the CAT scan, and that's when I found out that most of the cartilage was gone and in that hip joint. And uh, so I asked him, how long could I expect to wait? And uh, he was very honest and upfront, and he said, "Mm, probably quite some time. He said, uh, and at that point, there had been a news article in the Times Colonist in Victoria that said that they were closing one operating room at Royal Jubilee. And he said, wow. that's not, not the case. In fact, uh, counting Victoria General Hospital and Royal Jubilee Hospital, there's actually four operating rooms that are closed now.
0: Yes. Yes, you've got these operating rooms that are sitting there empty, basically. Uh, and. and uh, why is that like it's a, what is a staff shortage, right? Well, they say it's a staff shortage, but
1: you know I've got, I've got to ask if there's a staff shortage, maybe they should reconsider hiring back those nurses they fired because they wouldn't get vaccinated.
0: Yeah yeah, tell me about the um so how much pain are you in? Can you describe it? like, is this daily for you, constant?
1: So, yeah, this is this is all the time all yeah. the time even even just sitting in a chair, the pain radiates down to my knee, so wow. you know sleeping it it keeps me awake at night uh as I say every activity i do there's just nothing I can do that doesn't cause pain
0: wow, sorry to hear that is is there anything you can take for it
1: oh yeah no i yeah. i take uh, i take a uh Celebrex and uh, I also take a painkiller, a Tylenol painkiller. So Yeah. Uh, it does control it a bit, but nevertheless it's still it still never leaves me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's not I mean, okay, painkillers are one thing, but that's just that's got to be short-term band-aid solution. You need a new hip, right? Is that what your doctor has told you? You need yes. hip replacement surgery. Yeah.
1: And yeah. I am on a uh, the list for hip replacement he put me on March 1st and uh, when I talked to him on September the 3rd or the 4th he told me that there's literally hundreds of people on the waiting list so I'm not going to get it anytime soon so discouraging but there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing he can do about it. I, I would never ask him to move me up in the list. That would be unfair to all the people who've been waiting longer than I.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you got hundreds of people ahead of you and did he give you any indication or like when you might receive the surgery?
1: Well, he wouldn't really hazard a guess but uh, I'm maybe in the new year, you know, maybe in the new year. But uh Maybe maybe not. Long maybe way. longer.
2: Yeah. Maybe longer.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah he uh yeah. he he is as encouraging as possible, but he wants me to be realistic. And uh as he says, there's hundreds and hundreds of people on this waiting list. So
0: Yeah. How does that how does that make you feel, Jay? It's gotta be tough. It's gonna be discouraging. It get well, you down?
1: Little it's discouraging, and I feel a little bit of sort of resentment over the fact that, uh, you know, Minister Dix is trying to get everything taken care of and all, but uh, as I say, you know, there are all these nurses who were fired. Um, they probably would help to get things up and running again if they were to be brought back to work.
0: Yeah. Okay, you're certainly not alone here Jay. I've spo- I've had conversations with other people who are in the same situation. Let me play a clip here for you. Uh, listeners may remember an earlier conversation I had with Doug Andrew who BC resident, same thing, waiting for surgery and listen to what his doctor told him about why he's been waiting so long. This is Doug Andrew on an earlier show.
2: I talked to my orthopedic surgeon and he tells me that he could probably do another, at least three surgeries a week, maybe five surgeries a week, but he cannot get the hospital time.
0: Yeah. He can't get the, he can't get the OR time because you've got these operating rooms just sitting empty. I mean, that's kind of tragic. Like, you know, you've got your surgeon. I'm sure your surgeon would love to get you in there tomorrow. If he could oh. Jay.
1: Oh, my surgeon says the very same thing that that man said that, uh, it is a question of getting access to the operating room that holds him up. And uh, what with Jubilee, three operating rooms being down now, and at Victoria General, one being down, uh, there's a whole bunch of orthopedic surgeons competing for a limited number of operating rooms.
0: Yeah, would you ever consider private surgery like i know some people have done that to say okay i'll go to the united states or i'll go to some other country get paid for this out of my own pocket i know that doug has said that he would do that was going to cost him ten thousand bucks u.s. would you ever consider that i just don't
1: have the money to do that i'm retired and uh... we just don't have the cash on hand for me to uh... jump the queue so to speak
0: yeah no who does you no know, no not not many peop, not many people do okay, um so I guess what what is what is next for you then? I guess you've just gotta sit and hope that you get some good news here at some point soon,
1: yeah, basically, I just have to hope that uh, the backlog starts getting taken care of, and that my number will be called one day, and uh the sooner the better, but yeah uh, i. <laughs> I don't hold hope for anything happening within the next five to six months. So, All right.
0: Well, Jay, hang in there, man. I'm sorry that you're going through this, and I Uh-oh. hope they get the surgery soon. I appreciate that, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.